Thank you. That was great. Lovely time of focusing on the Lord. One of the ways that we make Him central in our lives is by worshipping Him. And an important part of what we do. Um, thank you to those of you uh, who uh, have prayed and have been praying for uh, the Children's Holiday Club that took place. There's uh, what's left of it. There's the, there's simply the board. But um, we had, um, I think we had about um, 220 children here most days um, of the week. You wouldn't believe what this place looked like, nothing like what it looks like now. And, uh, but what, what the build-up is um, towards the Thursday, Thursday there is, uh, there is always a gospel message, uh, there's a presentation of the gospel, and a number of kids committed their lives to the Lord on Sunday. I think that Linda mentioned there were about 30 kids that stayed behind for prayer and ministry after that session. So thanks for praying for them. One of the things I'd like to ask you to continue to pray for is a kid, many of the kids here do not go back into Christian homes. So that, you know, they, they've committed their lives to Christ here, but there's no ongoing support um, in their home. And so I think that's really what we can pray into uh, for God to really hold them and continue to hold them in the palm of His hand and, and to encourage them as they go along. So I think that's that's quite an important thing. So thank you to those who prayed. Thank you to those who made it possible. I know some of you supported kids so that they could be here financially. So thank you to you for that. And the other thing is that um, early this morning at about um, quarter to seven, our Malawi team crossed over Bight Bridge. Um, and so they're on their way at the moment to Malawi. The team, there's nine people that have gone up. Uh, Shane is leading the trip up there, so continue to pray for them. Uh, they will still take another two days to arrive, so they'll travel the whole of today and they'll arrive probably late tomorrow um, in, um, in Malawi at the village of Katuli where we have uh, our ministry over there. So pray for them. They'll be, uh, they'll be on the ground there for a number of days and then traveling back um, together. Um, now, you will remember that um, uh, we've been uh, spending a few weeks going through uh, Psalms, and uh, there's some... Uh, very interesting psalms in the Bible that come from different uh, aspects of people's lives and not only their walk with God, but things that happened in their lives. And, uh, and so I had the choice of, of any one of 150 psalms to preach on today, uh, which was great. Um, and as I was praying into this, I think you'll remember two weeks ago I spoke on, on Psalm 1 and uh, we spoke on recalibrating our lives and, uh, and the significance of that, and if you want to listen to it, it is available on our website. Um, but today, I want to um, I want us to look at Psalm fifty-one, Psalm fifty-one. And as as Shelley mentioned last week when she was speaking, some of the psalms with some of the psalms we're given the background to the psalm. Now, Psalm fifty-one is one of the psalms where we are actually given the background to what is written, and I think it covers to me one of the most um, difficult and painful issues that, that any person would want to and have to try and deal with. And it's the issue of, of, of sexual sin and adultery, which is what David had got involved in. And often where there's been sexual sin and when there's been adultery like this, um, there's, there's betrayal, other people's lives are affected, and there's a huge amount of shame and guilt that people need to deal with in that journey. I wish I could say to you that's a small and a minor issue. Unfortunately, it's not. It's something that's affecting more and more people than we realize. 
and it's impacting more and more marriages than ever before. And may I say this to you today, sadly, also among believers. It is to me a very heartbreaking thing when I discover that happening uh, in the church. I remember how um, something like this affected me um, some years ago when I, I discovered that a man that I'd looked up to, a, a pastor, who um, uh, I suddenly opened the uh, back page of the newspaper one day and there was a full-length photograph of him having been taken to court because he'd got involved, sexually involved, with one of the minors in his church. And at that time, I, I found that really hard to, to handle. I don't know about you, but, but things like this I find sometimes very difficult to handle and very difficult to process. Uh, you know, the question comes to you, well, why would an, a man of God do that? How do things like that happen? You, there, there are times, I must admit for myself, where I became quite critical and judgmental of people like that. And it, it was part of my, my journey and my struggle of, 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 of judging people like that. But, but I need to say to you this morning, some 35 years later, I have a much better appreciation of the words of Jesus when he said to his disciples, Watch and pray that you do not fall into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Those are, those are very, very significant words. Let none of us forget the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples when he was in the garden of Gethsemane. Watch and pray that you do not fall into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus was saying that they need to be alert to temptation because they are also going to have to face it. And I want to ask you this morning, as God's people, those of you who, who know the Lord this morning, do you know how to deal with temptation? Because part of the teaching in Scripture is not only that we will face temptation, but we need to, every one of us, we need to know how to deal with temptation. Jesus knew that, that if the disciples were not careful they were likely to succumb to temptation for this reason. The flesh is inherently weak. Did you, 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 you know, we often overestimate ourselves. Otherwise, we'd be very much, we'd be much more careful and ruthless about the things we allow ourselves to think about. Friends, we overestimate the flesh when we allow our minds to think on things they shouldn't. Let me say to you, temptation begins here. It begins in our thought life. It begins with what we allow to go round and round in our mind. James puts it like this, and I think, Tom, there is a, I've put that verse up. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. That's what Jesus was talking about. The flesh is weak. There is a struggle we need to all acknowledge. I, as a Christian, I acknowledge my weakness because the day I don't is the day I fall. 
But Jesus also knew that resisting temptation can be quite intense. It's not quite as easy as we think to resist temptation. I don't know if you've experienced that. But resisting temptation can be an incredible battle sometimes when you feel, when you are drawn, when everything within you wants to. And you remember that we have this picture of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane where he, in his flesh, he's saying, God, if there's another way. And every time he comes back and he says, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Three times. And then there is that description that comes to us of how intense the battle was because it says his sweat became like drops of blood. And later on in the New Testament, there is the question, have you yet resisted to the place of shedding blood? I want to say to you today, friends, we are living in a society today where temptation is rife. I believe we are facing more temptation perhaps than any other generation for this reason. There are so many things that have access to our lives today. It's not here and there. It's all over the time, all over the show, every, every day of our lives. And there is, a, there, is a, there is a battle that's going on and we need to recognize. Now, most of us remember what happened to King David in the Old Testament. He was on the roof of his palace one night and uh, he saw a beautiful woman having a bath. Now, I don't know what it what, I don't know if she left the window open or what it was. The point is that he saw her. And, and you remember that that actually led to him committing adultery with her. And then things go from bad to worse. If that's not bad enough, things go from bad to worse when he discovers that she's pregnant. So what he does now to try and cover this all up, he calls Uriah back from the battlefield, her husband, calls him back from the battlefield in the hope that Uriah will go and be with his wife and then they would think this child she's carrying is their son. That was his attempt to, to cover that up. And, and you remember that when that fails, he decides and makes sure that Uriah is killed on the battlefield so that he can marry Bathsheba, who is carrying his child. And you can say to yourself this morning, problem solved. No one knew he managed to get away with it. One thing he forgot is this. God knew. God knew. God knew what he'd done. And so what he does, God does, is he sends the prophet Nathan to expose David's sin, and he does it in such a way that David realizes that what he's done is unacceptable to God. And yesterday, I was, when I was preparing the sermon, I, I was reminded of a story that I'd read in in a book some years ago and pulled the book out and went to read it again. It's a very unusual story of the way in which God exposed somebody's sin. And the story is about a professor of theology who was teaching at a, a Christian university in the United States of America. And he said he had one of his A-grade students who came to his office one day and uh, for those of you, George, I'm looking at you this morning. Uh, he's, he's one of those students who came in and he knew when he walked in he wanted an extension for his assignment that was going to be late. He kind of knew that's where it was all going. 
And uh, he said, but as the student was standing giving this long explanation of how he'd been so busy and he had so much work to do, he said it was kind of like the guy's face blurred and the word pornography just flashed up in front of him. And he did a double take because that never ever happened to him before. And he kind of shook his head and, and kind of um, you know, carried on listening to the guy. And he said, uh, as he was listening again, it's just like this, just this word like pornography appeared in, in his mind. And he thought, I maybe God is trying to show me something about this young man. Never happened to him before. And he said, in those moments, I had to deal with something. Am I... Is God showing me this for a reason? Am I going to venture to say to this young man, do you have a problem with pornography? And he said, I didn't have the courage to do it. So he, he said to him, tell me, is there something that you've been struggling with? The guy said, no, why do you ask? Um, and he carried on, guy carried on speaking, and as he was listening, he said, this time the word pornography began to flash on and off as he saw it. And again, he said to the guy, tell me, is there something that you've been, you know, been, you know that's been a long-term struggle for you? And, and the guy said, why? He said, God's quite indignant. He said, why, why do you ask me something like that? Why would you possibly think something like that about me? And you know, you kind of want to start backpedaling in that moment when that happens. And, 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 and then a third time while he was speaking, this happened all over again. And he said, I'm going to take a leap of faith at and you can understand a professor, if this gets to the authorities, that can have some serious consequences. Uh, and he said to the young man, tell me, are you struggling with pornography? And he said, when I said that to him, I knew two things. Number one, it was true. And number two, he was going to deny it. And he said, I want you, he said, before you say another word, I want you to sit down. And he said, I believe God has revealed this to me for one reason. Because you are living in shame and you need to be able to deal with it. You need to know today that God will forgive you and that God will cleanse you and God will set you free. And you see, there are times when God exposes us and not to embarrass us, but so that it can be dealt with and resolved. You know, we can cover up what we've done, and there are times when it seems as though people get away with it. God always knows, and nothing's ever hidden from Him. Now, whenever something like this happens, and, and may I just pause here for a moment before I carry on? I've asked myself the question, what is the significance of this message for you today? And I feel it's this. It may be good to, to mention that up front. We are, as the church, meant to be a community that's able to lead people to forgiveness and freedom. It is part of what God has called us to do. We are meant to be a group of people who are able to lead others to forgiveness and freedom in the Lord. And I, one of the reasons I feel that God wants me to speak about the psalm this morning is so that we can be a community that knows how to lead people to forgiveness and to freedom. Now, now, when something like this happens, as happened to David, there's always a cho choice to make. And the choice is, how are we going to handle something like that? 
Are, are we going to cover it up? Is a person going to cover it up? Are we going to hide it away and live with the consequences? Or are we going to bring it to God and deal with it once and for all? And in Psalm 51, we have a brilliant example of the right way to deal with sinful behavior like this. Pretending that it didn't happen won't work. Hiding it away won't work. Trying to blame somebody else will not work. So let's look at Psalm 51 together. For the director of music. So in other words, this was something that would be sung. It's something maybe that would have been part of their worship. Uh, so it was a song that, that, um, that they would be singing. A Psalm of David. And here it is. When the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. There's the background. Here is what David says to the Lord. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and are justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inner pla innermost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you've crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity, creating me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Remember a song that comes from that? Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then I'll teach transgressors, transgressors your ways. And sinners will turn back to you. That's very significant for us here this morning. Then I will teach others. I will help others. Save me from blood guilt, O God. The God who saves me and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper and build up the walls of Jerusalem. Let me just pause there before I finish. You know why David adds that at the end of the song? Because he knows his sin will affect the whole community. And with his repentance, he's saying, God, don't let my sin affect the whole of Jerusalem. You see, you never sin alone. Even though it's hidden, it affects other people. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there'll be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. 
then bulls will be offered on your altar. So, so David's starting point in dealing with his adultery is he starts to get real with God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. And you know how God, how David gets real with God? By confessing his sin. In other words, and, and if I can put it to you like this, he calls sin what it is. He calls his adultery what it is. He doesn't say, well, I had a slip. Or, you know what, it was one of those things that happened to me. Because what's happening today is people are renaming sin and giving it other titles. And then it doesn't seem quite as bad, does it? There are three words that David uses in the song. The first word is transgression. And the word transgression means rebellion. He's saying, God, I rebelled against you. The second word that's used is the word iniquity. Now, it's a very interesting word, that word iniquity. It means to twist God's moral standards. He said, I have twisted God's moral standards in what I do. In other words, I needed to play some hijinks to do what I did because I knew it was wrong. And then the third word is the word sin. It's the word sin here means to miss the mark. It means I've not lived according to God's standards. And if I may this morning, this kind of sin can only be dealt with when we name it and shame it. David doesn't say to the Lord, Lord, she shouldn't have had the window open. I would never be here if she didn't have the window open. Or it's her fault. Or I couldn't help myself in that moment. Or Lord, the devil made me do it. Lord, I have sinned. He calls his behavior what it is. He says, Lord, it's sin. And the reason he calls it sin is because David was not particularly enjoying the consequences of sin. You see, the consequences of sin are not just what happens to other people, it's what happens to us. Yet David spells it out. He said, I felt crushed. There's something that I've realized when I've spoken to people about sin. It crushes them. They feel crushed by the guilt of what they have done. He says, I'm fearful of being excluded from God's presence. Here was the worshiper of Israel. Here was the writer of songs. Here was the man who was familiar with the presence of God. Spent hours praying. He said, suddenly, that intimacy with God is gone. He'd lost the joy of what God had done in his life. He'd seen God save him over and over and over again. But the joy was gone. He was acutely aware that sinning enslaves people. He says, grant me a willing spirit because I feel enslaved by what I've done. You see, sin has got, it's got social consequences, it's got mental consequences, it's got emotional consequences, and it's got spiritual consequences. And I have discovered counseling cannot deal with sin. Only Counseling may help you to understand yourself, and please, I'm not against counseling. But counseling can't deal with sin problems. Only confession can deal with it. And David comes to God because he says, I believe God forgives 
when we confess. He says, blot out, wash away, cleanse me. You remember what the Apostle John says in 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. You see, confession involves this. Us acknowledging and admitting what we've done. At the same time, remembering what God is like. You see, if you don't keep in mind what God is like, He's a God of mercy, He's a God of justice, but He forgives people when they come to Him. You will remain in condemnation. 1 John 1, 9 is a promise we can stand on. It's not a feeling we get sometimes. And while it's important to get real with God, it's also important, and this to me is very significant, People need to get back to the root of the problem. Why did it happen? And in David's confession, he says something I think that sets the tone of this whole psalm. He said, I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And if we don't deal with the root cause of the problem, the problem persists. And the root of David's problem was not the beautiful Bathshebas of this world. It was his heart. It was the impact. It was the effect of what we call today original sin. Paul says in Romans, For we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all being impacted by that. But may I say this this morning? Dealing with that, acknowledging that is only the beginning of the problem. If I may this again, I think there are times when we've got to get very specific with God. I have many times and heard, and I've done this myself, Lord, just forgive me for my sins. There are times when we've got to get honest with God. We've got to get down to the root cause of what we've done. And the root cause is a sinful heart, but there are other things that go along with it. There are things that we have done. There are things that we have participated in, and we've got to deal with those things before God. For example... I have a close friend who's in the ministry. He sometimes shocks me right down to the soles of my feet. And we'll get together from time to time and pray together. And I'll say anything I can pray for. He said, Yo, John, I'm struggling with lust at the moment. <coughs> but you see, he's willing to get down to his struggle. Isn't it interesting that as Christians, we are so embarrassed to talk about our struggles? In case we get judged. John, I'm struggling with lust. Please pray for me. You see, you get to the forgiveness. You get to acknowledging I was, there's a sinful heart in me. I've been conceived in sin. Or to talk about original sin and the impact that's having. But what about the other times when it's us that we're struggling with?
And I share that with you this morning because I believe that the church is meant to be a supportive, intercessory, praying community for weak people like you and me. I want to ask you this question. And I mean, obviously, I don't expect you to stand on the stage and say, what I've just said, you know, what I'm struggling with, something like that. But have you got somebody in your life where you can be open and honest with? Can you say to them, will you pray for me because I'm struggling with this at the moment? That's what I mean. And I said, getting back to the root cause of what is, what is happening. And you see, when David comes to the Lord over here, he's not just looking for forgiveness. He wants to be a changed man. He wants to be a changed man. Verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Friends, there is only one person in the world that can fix your heart, and that's the Lord. When, when, when David says to the Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God, what he's referring to is what we read in the beginning of Genesis. God's power in creating. Will, Lord, you bring that same power into operation in my heart? Will you do a miracle and will you change me? And I want to say today, the God of heaven changes hearts. And it's only when we admit we need God's help that this problem can be dealt with. David comes to the Lord with his adultery. He comes to the Lord with the fact that he has murdered Uriah because he believes that God will forgive him, that God will cleanse him, and that God will set him free. And if you're struggling with that this morning, may I remind you of the parable of the prodigal son. Do you know what to me is the most awesome part of that whole parable? It's the father welcoming his son back. I think Jesus told that parable not because they're prodigals in the world, but because God is so awesome. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. That's how God responds to repentance and confession. While admitting and owning what we've done is never easy, it's the only way to real forgiveness and restoration. Save me from blood guilt, O God. The God who saves me and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. There's going to be worship. When God forgives, we are forgiven. When God cleanses, we are clean. You see, one of the most difficult things to deal with when we have sinned is shame and guilt and condemnation. And when there's real confession, when there's been true repentance, there's a third thing that's necessary. It's receiving forgiveness. 
And I found what happens to so many Christians. They repent. They confess, Lord, I've done this. But they never receive God's forgiveness. Do you know that it's, you need to go to the Lord and say, God, I receive your forgiveness. I accept your forgiveness. I believe in your forgiveness. The reason for that, if people struggle with that, sometimes it just seems too good to be true. Listen to Isaiah. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Or what about that favorite scripture? We always read it around the communion table. Surely he took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. We considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Friends, Jesus took it and He paid the price once and for all. That's why I can be forgiven and healed. And you know when we have received God's forgiveness, worship is always the result and it's the kind of worship that cannot be restrained because it is so for real. There is a story in Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, of a woman. We think she probably was a prostitute. Just the Bible calls her a sinner. And she went and she sought out Jesus, who was having a meal in the home of a Pharisee. Now, you didn't do that if you were that kind of woman. You didn't go near a Pharisee's home if you knew what was good for you. And she finds Jesus and she goes in there and then she does something very unusual to express her gratitude. She takes a bottle of expensive perfume and she pours it over the feet of Jesus and she takes her long hair and she begins to use her hair like a towel and she wipes his feet in gratitude. That's unrestrained worship when you know you're forgiven. She loves much because she was Friends, have we forgotten what it's meant to be forgiven? I think one of the biggest struggles that people have when there's been adultery and when there's been sexual sin like this is that sense of I'll never be able to be the same again. And I think to some, in some senses that's true. That's true. But may I say at the cross, there is forgiveness beyond what we can imagine. I remember at a church that I pastored, a couple came and uh, started worshipping with us and hadn't been there more than a week when they invited me to their home. And they said, John, we will just need you to know what has happened in our lives. Our marriage fell apart. My wife got involved in adultery and then it nearly ruined us. But through the efforts and through the ministry of God's people and coming to the Lord, we have been forgiven. And we're in the process of rebuilding our marriage and our family. May I say this to you today? It's 
still in contact with that couple. They've got one of the most brilliant marriage relationships that I know about today. And I've seen true forgiveness. And I've seen people being free. And I've seen people being restored. Because that's possible in the Lord. That's possible in the Lord. The church is meant to be a community of people who know they are forgiven, who act like they're forgiven, who behave like they're forgiven, because that's what we are. And Tom, you can put that Psalm 32 verse up here. Here is David's responsive psalm to Psalm 51. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And I'm finished. What I want to do this morning two things as we close off. Number one, I want to pray for people here today who struggle with forgiveness. Romans 8.1 says, There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet I find there are Christians who year after year, month after month, week after week, still struggle with condemnation. And there is a place where as a church we need to say you are forgiven. There are two verses that came to me and they're not going to be on the screen but the one is in 2 Corinthians Paul says if you forgive anyone I also forgive you the church was practicing forgiveness and he says in order that Satan might not outwit us because the devil wants to keep you feeling condemned he wants to keep me feeling condemned as much as possible and then 1 John the Apostle John says, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of these days. So I want to pray that this morning. I'm going to, how are we going to do that? I'm going to just invite you to stand in a minute. I want to just pray over you, for those of you that need to hear those words, that in the name of Jesus you are forgiven. That is important. The second thing is this also believe we are meant to be a forgiving community. You see, people are meant to know from the scripture that God has forgiven them, but they're also meant to know from the church. And we often say to people like the Bible says, and that's absolutely right. But do you know that we are also meant to be a forgiving that people need to know they are forgiven because we forgive them. The biggest struggle that people have is not one with God, it's one with God. It's often so difficult. And they need to know that they are forgiven. Because you see, there's not one person here today that hasn't themselves been forgiven. We are forgiven people offering forgiveness to those 
who desire forgiveness in Jesus' name. So stand with me. Just as I pray this morning, I know that there are some here today who really, really struggle a lot with guilt. Perhaps if you characterized your, your walk with God, you'll say that I often struggle with guilt. And I want to pray over you this morning, you'll no longer struggle with guilt. Because forgiveness and the forgiveness of Jesus will triumph over them today. We would not allow Satan to have his way. We are not unaware of the schemes of the enemy today who the Bible calls the accuser of God's people. Day and night he accuses them. Part of our Christian journey will be to stand against the accusations of the enemy. And so I want to pray over you today. And I want to say, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, where you have come to him and repented and confessed, we say to you, be forgiven. And you are forgiven in Jesus' name. That you will walk in your forgiveness. That you will speak like a forgiven person. That you will live like a forgiven person. That you will pray as a forgiven person. For truly, what he did on the cross was enough. He has fully, fully paid the price. And then I want to pray over you today. That as a community of God's people, we will be those who, who minister forgiveness to others around us. That we would be able to lead others to forgiveness. That we'd be able to, to share God's forgiveness. That, that the cross and the power of the cross would be the thing that trumps it all. You see, God does not want people to live by groveling all the time. He wants them to celebrate and worship and be forgiven. So I pray, Lord, give us grace to be a forgiving community. In Jesus' name, amen. I finish with, you can stay standing, I won't be more than 30 seconds. Finish with a little story of a, a man who came out of the Second World War became the town drunkard of Staterhand. Some of you might know who I'm talking about. And uh, he, a lady that was doing evangelism led him to the Lord one night. And he'd never been in a church he was, uh, before, and he was anti-God. And the only song he knew to praise God for the forgiveness he experienced is a long, long way to Tipperary. You know that song? That's when he walked down the street singing. He didn't know a Christian song. But he wanted to celebrate his forgiveness. And that's what forgiveness brings. Spontaneous celebration because of what he's done. God bless you today.